it's tough because when you actually are doing something for God, then he attacks you. You would think it would be the opposite, that Satan would be attacking and you wouldn't do things for God, and that would be the end. But he's the master of trying to make us think we're happy in being out of the will of God. He's a liar. He's a thief. You've experienced it. I'm certain of it as you go through life. We're walking through the book of Philippians, and we're on chapter 2. And I've entitled my message, Gratitude. you got to be as fierce as the enemy is. You have to know his tricks, and you have to remember that he's the enemy, not us. Seems like we're enemies at time, doesn't it? You following me? Is it hard to sit right there and look up here? It's got to be. Gratitude comes out of your attitude, doesn't it? Gratitude for the situation, because I sure didn't plan on praise band practice being so rough. Rough. And that's how I come across sometimes. People in the praise band are my dear friends, not my enemies. I say that to Satan. You are the enemy. Get out, right? Get out. You you don't get us. We're together because a house divided against itself cannot stand. And who wants a fallen house? Who wants a fallen marriage? Who wants fallen relationships? Who wants a fallen church? God has given us a will to do what we want to do. That's a good thing. Most of us see the negative and not the positive, don't we? We worry. I have two messages that I prepare every single Sunday, one for the praise team at 8.30 in the morning because we're the Levites, and the other for the rest of you. So there's about 25 or 30 people sitting here at 8.30, and I've already preached to them for half an hour. And you know what follows that quite often is just the enemy trying to lie to us, whispering in our ear, this is going to sound terrible today, blah, 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 blah. And who cares if it does as long as we glorify God? Really, seriously? As long as we glorify God and stay focused, this is actually an addendum to my message. I always write down the quotes. These are the quotes I got this morning really quick. The will of God always gets harder. As I was having my personal time with God, I wrote these phrases down. The will of God will always get harder, not easier. You'll be tested. Number two, a spiritual maturity does not result from self-sufficiency. We all want to be self-made people that know the path ahead and have it well planned, and we dream and we desire this destiny, and, and that's what we work toward instead of realizing I am not self-sufficient, I can't make it without you. Can't make it without you. I desperately need you. Third phrase was comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. It's exact opposite of what the church does today. They try to comfort the afflicted and don't get them to understand that sometimes God wants us to stir, have the nest stirred up a little bit. So we really need him. Is anyone there today? Raise your hand. My nest has been stirred up a little bit. 
and I really, 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 really need, I feel like I really need God right now. I'm trying to figure out what was going on with the sound system today, and I should know better. And all the other things, and why in the heck did I wear this jacket, but if I take it off, I've been sweating through my shirt. My wife was very concerned about the sound of it, but you can't hear it now because I'm talking too loud, and I won't move when I'm not talking. Sounds kind of like candy wrappers when you wear this kind of jacket, you know? Yeah. God has called us to afflict the comforted. Number four was the blessing, the blessings of God will complicate your life. So, wow. That's not good news. The blessings of God will always complicate your life. Because when, you, when it comes right down to it, you know that you're going to have blessings, but you're kind of wondering what's really coming. What do I do now, God, that you blessed me with this opportunity? What do I do now, God, that you've blessed me with this affliction? Jessica cannot see. She needs us to pray like crazy for her, doesn't she? Because she's our friend. She has Christ in her life. She's losing her eyesight. She's had surgeries on the eye. She's had needles in her eye. And I just say to the enemy, you are a thief. We need to pray that God will restore her vision completely. Is it possible? It is possible. It is very possible because God is huge. But I don't want to be blind. I'm blind in one eye. I had a lazy eye when I was a kid, and now I'm blind in that eye completely. I only have one good eye. And so when they say pray for Jessica because she may lose her sight, I think it would be the most horrible thing not to be able to see. Come on. Isn't it a blessing? You don't even realize how much you take for granted that you're blessed with. One last phrase. We want answers to prayer before we exercise our faith. Batterson said all of those phrases in four pages. I got that out of four pages, all those things. That we want to know what's ahead before we pray. And God says what you need to do is extend your faith first and believe and then pray, right? Extend your faith and say, God, this is what I believe is going to happen. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe, God, that this is going to happen. So, uh, you know, I'm not any great athlete, but I like athletic illustrations. Joe Theismann, and he only called himself Theismann because his actual name means, is, is pronounced Theismann. But because he was being advised by some of his counselors that you should use the name Theismann because a Heisman Trophy was given out. And it rhymes with that, and people associate with the, you with the Heisman Trophy, and he thought, sounds good to me. So Theismann or Theismann. He was an illustrious 12-year career quarterback for the Washington Redskins. He led the team to two Super Bowl appearances, winning in 1983 before losing the following year. And he gives his testimony. I don't know if you'd call it a testimony, but he shares the story that he, during the tail end of his career, he realized he had learned a very, very hard lesson. He said, I got stagnant. I thought the team revolved around me. I should have known it was time to go when I didn't care whether a pass hit Art Monk in the eight or in the one on his uniform. 
And when we went back to the Super Bowl, my approach had not had changed completely. I was griping about the weather, my shoes, the practice times, and everything else. And today, he says, I wear two rings, the winner's ring from Super Bowl 17 and the loser's ring from Super Bowl 18. The difference in those two rings lies in applying oneself and not accepting anything but the best, with the best attitude, right? You really want something to happen, but you're so positive that it's not going to happen. Yeah, that's the way it is isn't it? We really want to see these changes, but they're not happening. And I don't know for what reason you've given up. It could be possible that it's because you just don't see any action. You don't see anything happening. And the fact of the matter is you must believe before you will see. Yes? You actually have to believe before you see it transpire. You have to put it down to concrete. God, this is what I believe, and I'm going to hold to this, and I'm not going to waver on this. This will happen. Now, I, I, I could give testimony of people in this room who did not give up and are living testimonies to this very day that God did something powerful through that situation. It either changed or it changed you. It's one of those two. Raise your hand. That's you. Something powerful happened, something crazy happened. You either changed or the situation changed. In the book, The Anatomy of an Illness, as perceived by the patient, Norm Cousins tells of being hospitalized with a rare crippling disease. When he was diagnosed as incurable, Cousins checked out of the hospital. Aware of the harmful effects that negative emotions can have on the body, Cousins reasoned the reverse was true. So he borrowed a movie projector and got all kinds of old movies about the, by the Marx Brothers who most of you aren't even, I'm not even that old. They were supposed to be funny. I didn't think so. I thought they were stupid. Actually, I laughed at their stupidity. But, and then he got all kinds of re, old reruns of Candid Camera. And what he found was this, that 10 minutes of laughter would actually give him two hours of good, solid sleep. Laughter is good for the soul, isn't it? I honestly think God has a sense of humor. You should never cut jokes in your messages. You should be serious and you really need to be uh, exegeting the passage and all this other stuff. And I think to myself, you're too serious. You need to get a life. A person's mental attitude has almost unbelievable effect on his powers both physical and psychological. The British psychiatrist J.A. Hatfield gives a striking illustration of the fact in his booklet, The Psychology of Power. He said, I asked three people to submit themselves to the same test, to test the effect and the, of suggestion on their strength, which was measured by gripping I've never heard of this instrument, but I looked it up online. A dynamometer. A dynamometer, you, you grip it, and it tells you something about your grip strength. It tells you a lot about your whole body. They were to grip the dynam dynamometer with all their strength under three different sets of conditions. The first was just in their normal, everyday, whatever, grip the dynamometer right now for me so I could see what your grip strength was. And it came back for this person to be 101 pounds. 
And then he tested them after he had hypnotized them and told them that they were very, very weak. He offered that mental suggestion. Their average grip strength this time was only 29 pounds from 101 pounds. In the third, Dr. Hatfield told them under hypnosis that they were very strong. And the average grip strength jumped to 142 pounds. Guess what? The enemy's a liar today, and he's telling me stuff. Yes, he's telling me stuff, even as I speak. He's telling me, you're a failure. You've blown it so much. You're not good. You shouldn't be doing this. You fail all the time. You fail all the time. He loves to tell us that we're a failure. He loves to lie to us. And, and he likes to say, they're your enemies when they're not my enemies. He loves to say, your family will never change, and that is not true. He loves to tell you that you can't be healed, and you know that you can. Yes. Yes. Both the hummingbird and the vulture fly over the hot, hot desert. The vulture is always looking for dead meat, something dead to feast on. But the hummingbirds ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals. Instead, they look for colorful blossoms of desert plants. There's a big difference. One is focusing on the dead past. And the other is focusing on a beautiful future. Be careful. Be careful what you focus on because you'll get what you see. Yes, you will. The noted English architect, Sir Christopher Wren, was supervising the construction of a magnificent cathedral in London and a journalist thought that it would be interesting to interview some of the workers. So he chose three and asked them this question. What are you doing? The first one replied, I'm cutting stone for 10 shillings a day. The next answered, I'm putting in 10 hours a day on this job. And the last one said, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren construct one of the London's greatest cathedrals. That's what I think. I'm serving the greatest king, Lord, deliver, restorer. Oh, my God, my goodness. It's amazing. Rebuilder, rewarder. I'm serving him. I'm thrilled to serve the king of kings. What is my perspective and how do I look at things today? I have to look at every negative thing as good because it chisels me into what God wants me to be, doesn't it? Some of you have negative things going on in your life right now. But I believe that it's important to focus on the things that you love. And that's why I told my wife in the car today, when we go to Vietnam and when I go to Africa one month from tomorrow with, with uh, five other guys, we will focus on the scripture. I have learned so many verses in Vietnam, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Because if you focus on the negative, all you'll see is negative. If you focus on the positive, you'll even see that the things that seem bad today are actually for your good. You know what I don't understand? I mean, I mean, I'm serious about this. I don't understand why I don't even trust that God uses the bad things for his, his will. 
My heart goes out to people in the room who are struggling today because they're going down a dead-end road and they don't see any light. Lord, you put, you put light inside of them right now to know that all things are working together for your good. Aren't they? Yes, they are. All things are working together. See, I read this phrase this week, and I don't know who the guy is, but I just thought it was powerful. I didn't put it on the screen. What we resist not only persists, but will also grow in size. What we resist not only persists, but it will grow in size. What is it? Some of us are bucking the negative that God wants to use to make us desperate for him. Is that good? Are you following me? You listening? Because five minutes after this service is over, you'll have no idea what I preached on today. If you're not careful. What we resist will not only resist or, or exist in our lives and persist, but it will also grow in size. Have you found that? When God is trying to do something and you're not opening your eyes to it and he's trying to tell you something and you keep resisting it, he says, I'm only going to have to make this stronger until you open your eyes and see that I am trying to grow you. Focusing on good things is amazing. My text is Philippians 2, the first 11 verses that are so powerful, I, it's hard to get past verse 1. Otherwise, if you don't think that way, you'll, you'll think it's boring. Philippians 2, verse 1, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Don't play the rest yet. I want to stop there for a second. So all week long, I had this text and knew this was what I was preaching, so I I listened and read everything that I could on the text so I could get a better grasp of what Paul is trying to say, what the narrative for his life at this juncture is. And I believe that Paul puts a very, very unique nuance in these verses that you have to actually look for and listen closely. If you're not careful, you don't study the context of what is being said, and you miss it completely. It's Paul talking to the Philippians in a very real church, a church in Philippi. If, if I'm not careful, I just brush over this real quickly and don't miss the things that are so obvious that, that I, I don't even think about it. Paul is somewhere when he's writing this, and what you don't re read because it's not there, is the fact that Paul is in prison in Rome. Cold, damp, rats, adverse situations. He's not in Philippi, 
Epaphroditus, this guy from the church in Philippi, has come to speak to Paul, and he came for a few different reasons, the biggest being he wanted to encourage Paul. I had to stop right there right off the bat because I could preach a whole message just on the first verse in chapter 2. I think myself, like, I, like, like I'm feeling sorry for myself today because I just sucked in how I led the praise band. God says, yeah, I'd like to do that to you so you'll be humble. But would you hire a pastor who was in prison repeatedly? Some people would like me there, but I'm not there. Would you hire a guy who's in prison to be your pastor? Paul was in prison, then he was out of prison. He was in prison, but the context for Philippians is very clear and important. He's in prison. This guy by the name of Epaphroditus has come to encourage him in prison. Have you ever visited anyone in jail? Raise your hand if you have. Some of you have visited yourself there quite often, but... How many people have actually been to jail? Raise your hand. Okay, maybe 15 people in the room have been there. They, they would relate and be, connect with me more by what I'm saying right now than anyone else in the room because it's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's not cool. It's very scary to have to go to jail because you don't even know what is going to happen while you're there. And I've, I've dealt with a lot of people that have been in prison and out of prison and I've dealt with a lot of people that have gone to jail. And I've been to the jail, and you sit on one side of the glass, and you talk to the person on the other side of the glass, and you think to yourself, sure, I'm glad I'm not here. Sure, I'm glad I'm not here. Thank you, Jesus. See, I grew up at college having to find a job every year because I never had any money. And so I got these jobs in these restaurants, which I'm thankful to God for because Josiah always says, Dad, you're the best cook in the whole world. I didn't know that that was going to be helpful down the road. We were at, at some people's house last night with a bunch of other families, and um, Phil Sasquirta brought uh, some trout that he had smoked. I hate fish. I know you're going to be mad at me for saying that. We've never had fish in our house since in 44 years of marriage. So every time we go out for dinner, my wife orders salmon. So she was talking about how great this smoked trout was that Sasquirta brought. I don't even see him in here. Is he backsliding today? Is Hung over? I don't think so. Anyway, you know why I don't like fish? Because I worked in a restaurant that had a fish fry every Friday night. You could have perch or haddock or whatever, and we used it. We threw it at the wall. We were so sick of it. We'd use it for target practice. There was fish everywhere in that kitchen. I literally grew to hate it. And Phil said last night, that he doesn't like tomatoes. He said, have you ever picked up a rotten tomato? They stink so bad. How many people don't like tomatoes? Raise your hand. I don't like them on my burgers. It makes it too thick. But we all have different tastes. What I'm saying is this. We all have a different narrative that has contributed to who we are today. Our stories are all different, but we all have a story. Chuck Swindoll said this. I'm going to skip out of the text for right now. Chuck Swindoll said this. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. 
Attitude to me is more important than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes. It's more important than what people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or scale. It will make or break a company, a church, a home, or a marriage. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing that we can do is play the one, play the one string that we have, and that's our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it, right? And so is yours. Otherwise, if we're not careful, we'll get on the wrong path. You can choose today. You wish I was God. You can choose today. I can choose today. I can choose today. I'm a stubborn dude. I don't give up easily. I just keep going in the same direction because it's a long obedience in that direction. You got to grab onto this today. You got to, you got to, you're going to make yourself sick if you don't decide that I can choose and I want to choose the right things. I want to choose the right path. I'm on page seven for PowerPoint. What happens? in you, and this is my big thought for the day. If you don't remember anything else, I'll ask you at the end of the service, I'll pick somebody and ask you who remembers it. What happens in you determines what happens through you. What happens in me determines what happens through me. So I have to be careful that inside here, Inside of my being, I am not becoming bitter. I'm not becoming hateful. I'm not getting caught up in the enemy's path of destroying my life. So you have to ask yourself this. I have two questions this morning, basically. What do we do when we have a bad attitude? Well, what should I do? When I have a bad attitude, you know, because we we can sit in the room this morning and actually have a bad attitude. Am I right? You can have already decided you're not going to hear anything because you're so caught up in something that has happened in the past. What do I do? So if there's any encouragement in Christ... And the word if in the Greek carries with it, not a hypothetical, but because or in light of the fact that there's encouragement in your life. He's assuming that it's true. Any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being in the same mind. Okay, context again. Pastors, or Pastor Paul is in prison in Rome. He's not free to go to Philippi. And he's praying every day, and he's praying every day, and he's praying for these friends of his in Philippi. And he says, and he maybe even heard something. I don't know. Maybe he heard some stuff was going on. So he decided he needed to send a message back with Epaphroditus to his friends in Philippi. He said this, if there's any encouragement there, if there's any love there, if there's any good stuff there, could you do me a huge favor and send me 
send me a note that's saying that you're trusting God and you're moving forward? Will you give me some indication that you're changing? All you need to do for this to happen is to understand that your attitude is actually shaping you into who you are. I asked the praise band today. If you could ask one question, you got to ask any question in the entire world. You could ask one question about where you will be in 35 years. I just randomly picked a time. Where will I be in 35 years? You probably wouldn't want to know. Probably not. What will happen to your marriage? What will happen with your children? What will happen with your occupation? What will happen with your relationships? Would you really want to know? I don't think so. And the only thing we can do in that regard is to understand that we are shaping the future right now by our attitude. The only thing that I could do right now is automatically always go back to correcting my attitude about the situation. He's writing from jail to the church at Philippi, and he says, remember what God has done for you. I would say that this morning. Okay. Who in this room feels so blessed, you're blessed out of your mind? Raise your hand. And then share a testimony right now. Come on. But if I went around with a microphone and said, share something powerful that is happening in your life right now, we'd be suddenly silent. Are you not blessed? Are you blessed? Can you think of multiple things that you're blessed by right now in your life? Yes? Huge. Oh, my gosh. There's people that won't even say yes. They're sitting in here going, I guess. Well, I guess. I guess I'm blessed, but if you only knew what's already happened this morning, that made me so mad I could barely stand it. I told my wife to iron my shirt. Wrinkled. Okay. You know all the little things that happen in the morning to make you lose focus? Huh? And God is saying, Refocus. People will accuse you as a pastor of basing your teaching on experiences, the, the feel-good things, all these experiences in life. And I, I, for years, being a strict Baptist kid, lived by legalistic rules. I honestly thought of life as experiential in some ways, but not in all ways. And when I went to the Pentecostal church with my cousins, I found out, Everything is experiential. They're nearly becoming Mary Poppins. They're floating around the world. They're speaking in tongues out of nowhere. They, everything is experiential. But I would say this. I think if nothing is experiential to you, you're missing out. Are you missing out? Isn't life good? Yes, yes. Ooh, God, you are so good. I could jump up and down, but this jacket will make some noise, and you'll wear a frown, and they say, oh, he's a clown. Oh, by the way, clowns are not popular these days. Have you noticed that? When I was 
raised up, you went to the circus and there were like 50 clowns coming up to the kids. And nowadays, if a clown comes up to a kid, they go bonkers. I was, we, we put the food truck out there, which we're working on. It's really nice, but working on all the permits you have to have and stuff. If we put that in the parade and I said, what we need is a whole bunch of clowns to pop their heads out. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be a good idea. I like what, I li actually like um, what Paul suggests in these few verses. He actually, he actually is reminding them not to do things out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit, rather in humility to value other people more than yourself. The Bible reminds you and tells you to remind yourself that you are loved. Are you loved? Who loves you? Awesome, isn't it? Who loves you? Same. Ditto Jesus. Does God love you today? Does God know everything about you today? He does. Find encouragement in the heart of God for you and towards you. Stop thinking everybody's your enemy and just realize we have difference of ideas about things, but we can still love each other. Can't we? Or your marriage will split. Or your children will split. Spend time rejoicing with God because the Christian life is experiential. So Paul responds and goes on, no, you're in Christ, you can do anything. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. You know why everybody missed him? Because they didn't think that God would die. It wasn't in their paradigm to have a servant come to die for us. That was not in their thinking whatsoever. It just wasn't. So they couldn't grasp on the fact that he did not come to try to prove that he was God because he already was. Have you ever thought about that? You don't need to argue about things that you already know are true. What if people want to argue with you and they, they come up against you and they really want to question things? You don't need to argue it because you already know it's true. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I know this. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Why, why would we want to live condemned? He has not condemned anyone in the room. We are the condemners. It is true. The problem with the church is not the world. The problem with the church is the church. That's what Paul is saying. Be like-minded. What is that? Servant. I'm not doing something for them. They're paying me for every job I do. I'm not going to make a meal for them. We could barely afford it ourselves. You're missing out on what Jesus is saying. He's saying you should be servants. That's what Jesus was. We only do things when we know we can get something back in return. By the way, your pie plate is in the kitchen over there. From that pie you made me for my, was it for my birthday or something else? See, I think this plays itself out in daily living. I had his pie plate on my desk because he makes a really killer good apple pie with kind of a crumble on top. It's a lot of brown sugar and butter. Heat that up with a scoop of ice cream and a glass of milk, and you died and went to heaven. <laughs> 
Not kidding. But I had your pie plate. And by the way, um, the man nurse, male nurse back there, raise your hand. Jesse, you brought a cheese dip to men's Bible study one night. That thing that you brought it in, that's, I mean, it's, your woman is wondering where that's at. Had that plastic lid thing on it. You know, wouldn't you like people, wouldn't you, don't you just love it when people are servants? And you think to yourself, oh, my goodness. Hernandez brought a jar of bread and butter pickles. Who made those? Your mother. And he said, I put it in the refrigerator with some, a ton of cucumbers. Cherry tomatoes and cucumbers. I don't even know what to say. Those pickles made me feel like I died and went to heaven. Did anybody else's mom ever make bread and butter pickles? Raise your hand. I had a lot of questions today. Bread and butter pickles. It's like Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers from Peter Piper's paternal mother. Right. What happens in you determines what happens through you. Got an attitude of gratitude? Huh? What happens in you will determine what happens through you because everything we do flows from who we are. And so Paul is basically saying, in light of God's mercy to you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Hmm. I'm alive, but I'm a sacrifice. That's the attitude that we're called to live, and it leads to actions that we're invited to have. In verses 4, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Wow. My second question. What happens when you operate out of selfish ambition? You know, I think that we don't realize how the world has affected the church. Everything today is about making money and becoming all that you can be, fulfilling your dream and fulfilling the destiny that you believe God would want for you. And I think in the middle of doing that too often, we lose the greatest blessing of all. Do it for free. Be a servant. The greatest blessing at all, just be a servant to someone today. Figure out someone that you can do something for because that's what God would want. John Stott said this, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. And by the way, don't be, be deceived into thinking that just because somebody is soft-spoken and puts on a good show that they're necessarily humble. Just because they're quiet doesn't mean they're necessarily humble. They may have figured out that it works to their advantage to look a certain way. Because that's kind of the way it is nowadays. Yes, it is. Do nothing out of vain conceit. I wrote these to myself this week. This is true humility. We actually see the people around us. We actually see the people. They all have a story, don't they? You have a story? Can't even get past these rows. There are stories. Do you have a story? Single mom? Big story. Last year, big story, right? Of your brother and your father being murdered. 
You can't get very far without realizing that every single person has a story. Churches don't grow because they have good praise teams. They don't grow because they have good preachers or children's ministries because you can always find something wrong with them. Churches grow because they've raised up servants. Yes, they do. You don't even see the people around you. You missed out on all the relationships. Jackson just came back from Uganda, didn't you? What day did you get back? What day did you get back? Monday or Monday? And we're going there, so I have to talk to him. He has to find bodyguards for us. You don't even see the people around you. You're oblivious. It's all about you. It's not about them. I was, I, I was out in the parking lot this week when Patrick and Noel, where's Patrick and them? I saw Noel. You're over there. Patrick, are you in here? He's on security. Whew. Okay. And, I, and he had this couple with him, and I said, oh, who is this? And he said, yeah, Pastor, I was hoping you were here so I could introduce you to my foster parents. Instantly, my mind went, foster parents, not adopted parents, not real biological parents. I had to compute. And all of a sudden, my brain is just going, Kevin and Christy, Kevin and Christy, Kevin and Christy. Yeah, right, honey? We fostered the, this brother and sister who had six siblings, and they were eating dog food. And I've shared that testimony before. And we took them into our home, took them from F students to A students. And it was very difficult letting them go at the end of our fostering period when they were being adopted. But all of a sudden, I saw Patrick in a completely different light. The grace of God is crazy. Isn't it? Where would we be if it weren't for the grace of God? He, I, I would never look at him and think that he had to go through something. He doesn't even know who his biological father is. He has a story. You with me? He has a story, and you're not interested in it. You're only interested in yourself creating your destiny, arriving at your dream, blah, blah, blah. And what you don't realize uh, along the way, when you don't give out, you don't get back. It catches up. The second point I wrote for myself was, we hear their story and feel their pain. We actually see them, but we go further and say, tell me your story. See, somebody said they didn't want to be a part of Rock Church when we bought this building and they left, this family left, because we're too close to the bad area. I never knew there was a real bad area until I talked to him the other day for about an hour and a half, Kyle, in my office who accepted Christ in the last several months. I talked to him and realized there are some bad areas in Grand Rapids, aren't there? Very, very bad. Areas where they tell kids, if you deliver this bag to its destiny, we will give you $200. The only stipulation is don't look in the bag, correct? You can become a drug deliverer without even realizing it in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's something that he shared with me, which is very dangerous. There are signs on poles all over the city that say you need work, you know, looking for a job, this kind of thing. 
very dangerous, right? He said he tears them down. I didn't know his narrative. I didn't know his story. He said he tears them down because they're taking children, putting a bag over them, drugging them, and selling them. Would you want your child taken? Be careful. You don't expect it in Grand Rapids, Michigan? It is happening. They actually had to leave where they lived and move somewhere else for the sake of protection, correct? Kyle has a story. I'm saying all this to say this. Stop judging when you don't know their story. You following me? You tracking with me? Stop judging when you don't know their real story. You don't know my story. I don't know your story, but we should be interested. And I put one other thing on the list. Have an attitude that is considerate of others all the time. Feel their pain. You have no idea what they may have been through. So this is why I think God is not all about equality. I would like to preach just on that alone. If he was all about equality, then why did he say in Philippians 2 that he took upon himself the form of a servant and made because he already was made in the likeness of God, but he decided to set aside his God-likeness on our behalf. He didn't use those powers. He wasn't all man. Deity is this. All God, all man, all the time. He realized that there were so many overwhelming needs around him, he couldn't even contain it. He was just, I, I felt like that this week. I felt, I'm, I felt this week the truth was, when I saw Patrick, I thought, I, my respect for him is just elevated. My respect for the parents, the, the, are they still in town or did they go home? He's a pastor, Patrick said, of 30 people. A pastor and his wife fostered her husband from fourth grade all the way through and still consider themselves as parents. And I say, it's time we do something about these kids that don't have parents. Is it not? Wouldn't that be what Jesus would do? He'd take them into his house. He would love on them. It's, it's time we stop talking about it and actually do something about the needs. It's time instead of criticizing Kyle that I realize he has a story that is out of control. And here he is by the grace of God. Correct? Do you guys have a story? The Shecks? They have a story. So I'm saying all that to say this. When this person said they didn't want to be a part of our church because we're right on the edge of the bad area, I say, exactly where we want to be. Are you with me? Exactly where we want to be. It makes life so powerfully interesting. Yes, it does. And when you today determine that instead of being the big shot, you're going to be the servant, you get so blessed you can't even contain it. No, I'm serious. You cannot even contain it. it. It empties you of all that garbage stuff. All those thinking, those thoughts that go through your mind saying, I deserve better than this. I'm not saying this to be mean, but there are people in here who think you deserve better than your spouse. It's possible they've disappointed you. But if we got what we deserve, because God is not fair, if we got what we deserve, we'd all go to hell. Yes? Yes? Is that doctrinally sound? Yes.
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Woo! Hallelujah, Jesus. You gave me the greatest gift ever. I was raised in a home of dysfunction, but dysfunction, but by the grace of God, I've been a pastor 44 years and love it still. Because I understand something. I am so blessed to have my wife, who is the most godly woman, and my daughter sitting right next to her, and my son-in-law, Nick, who is just, they are just the love of my life, and that little baby, Selah, makes me laugh. You know? I mean, if you, if you have any grandkids, you understand what I'm talking about. It makes you giggle, doesn't it? It's like, Jesus, take the wheel. This is so awesome. I think I'm going to run off the road. Lexi sends these pictures, and I just start laughing. Are you blessed? Some of you just haven't grabbed onto how blessed you are. You know, seriously, we need to be gripped by the power of God to understand what being a servant and what being emptied of ourself means because literally in the Greek it means to chase after something, to try to seize something or to wield it for your own power. Empty of, literally emptied, is the Greek word kenosis, and it literally means to empty me out of all this self-seeking garbage. No, I want to be a big star. I want to be rich. I want to be famous. And God says, empty, empty right now. Emptied out, emptied out. Give it up, give it up, give it up, give it up so I can take you places. Emptied of self. Yes, Emptied of all that critical spirit, emptied of all these desires, all this lust and all this passion that is destroying you. Give it up. Are you with me? Not everybody in the room is at that point, but some people are at the point, and I, my heart goes out to you. We've had some ladies in here that have been treated horribly by their husband that deserved better. We've had some men who have been treated horribly by their wife, some kids who have been treated horribly by their parents, some parents who have had prodigal kids but in the big picture, all of it is working together for good to grow us. Are you with me? Are you over here? I'm sick of saying yes. It's literally wearing my voice out. Seriously, Pastor. I've got to knock it off. Exegete the text and exit the building. I get so fired up when I study. It's the thing that always brings me back into focus. Scary things happen. This week you had to go have some testimony. I was praying for you. Yeah. Close your eyes. You know that God's talking to you today. You know it. You know God is talking to you today because you've lost the pop. You've lost the excitement, the spark that kept you moving forward with God. It's, it's disappeared. And so you haven't emptied yourself of self. You're emptied of all your joy, and you want it back. And you know that the devil is a liar. He's a thief. He's a, he's a liar, he's a thief, and he's real. Yes, he is. He's real. You need to pray against demonic influence. 
of the spiritual warfare that's going on, you need to trust God and actually pray Jesus into your situation. There are many people in this room this morning that need the delivering power of God that comes through complete surrender to God. But there are some people in the room who are trying to do it in yourself, and you're not even sure that you're going to heaven when you die. I want to ask a simple question first. Are you 100% sure you're going to heaven when you die? If you're not, you can be sure right now. You don't know and you want to know. Raise your hand. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I want to know. Pastor, I don't know. I'm not sure. Look up here. So last week, right on the aisle, is she's a teenager, right, son? Teenager, family that has a lot of kids, most kids in our whole church. Praying for their daughter. And she has kind of gone away. She was sitting right on the aisle. She raised her hand. My wife went walked out with her, and she accepted Christ as her Savior. Yes. I don't even know which. I don't even know which one of your kids it is. Raise your hand if that's you. That's you. Okay. She's smiling. She's smiling. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. It's it's pretty cool when God comes in and completely transforms your life. He brings you to that point where you know you need it, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He brings you to the point, and she, she had the courage to raise her hand. Do you, you know what you, what's your name? What? Kylie? Okay. Kyra. Like Tyra Banks or, but Kyra? Okay. Do you know, do you know this is what actually came to my mind? When I was in seventh grade, at the end of seventh grade, I was sitting in the second row from the back of the church, not making this up. I was sitting right here on the aisle, seventh grade, end of seventh grade, right in that very spot that she's sitting, and I felt something pulling me. It was literally pulling me out of the chair and saying, you need to go down there and settle this with God. God was tugging on her. Same spot I got saved. Not making it up. It's exactly how it happened for me. God was tugging you. You had the courage to raise your hand. Yeah? I'm looking at my wife, so I'm not saying anything wrong. I'm doing okay, okay. She's a child of God now. It's going to change her entire life. Is it not? And how could you not rejoice? If our church only was formed just for her, it would be awesome. Yes? I would say this, you, you need, you, you're, you're praying like crazy about something. God is saying to you this morning, I want you to give it to me completely. I want you to turn this over to me completely, 100% at this moment, give it to me. Stick with me because it will come to pass. Yes. You can't talk about faith hoping that you'll get it before you actually have the faith. You have to have faith, and then you got to watch God work. I'll guarantee you that changed their whole family when she accepted Christ. You got something you need faith for, like so ridiculously powerfully that there is no way it could happen outside of God intervening. Only those people 
who are having faith that God is going to change it in such a way that it will change you. Stand to your feet. Only those people. You got something. I'm standing because I'm believing God to do something that will absolutely take a divine miracle. We're not playing games. You're saying this before God. It's very important. Don't forget what I said when I first started. I got to look back at it. The will of God gets harder. Spiritual maturity does not result from self-sufficiency. The blessings of God will complicate your lives. And then lastly this, we want answers to prayers before we exercise our faith. You got to exercise your faith right now. God's going to do this. I'm going to pray for it until it happens. I'll pray until it happens. You with me on this, people? So we're going to see some testimonies in upcoming weeks and months about something that has happened that you prayed for today, this day, okay?